I've stolen intro duties from John today, so we're just going to launch in. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Osin Bunker podcast. Uh, we just have uh, me, our uh, Osin Technical, and uh, Cash's Belly here today with John. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. I know the last time uh, Cassius was on here, um, we may have had a, a bit of a conversation about why Russia wouldn't invade Ukraine. Um, and I, I think we're going to have a bit of a, a, a postmortem on that take and, and, and sort of try to see where we, plural, I'll, I'll, I'll include all of us in, the, in there, were wrong um, and where we were right and sort of, you know, what we can do in the future to sort of cue that up and, and actually make it make sense. Um uh, we're also going to have some discussions, of course, because we also have caches here about um, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, which I know we we all ignore far too much based on its its regional importance and um, involvement of uh, a bunch of larger players. Um, so I think we should just kick into it with uh, starting on Ukraine. Um, so I think I, I, I know I'll, I'll, I'll put caches on the spot here, but the last time you were here, you had the general opinion that this was probably a sort of a Russian ploy to put pressure on Ukraine. I, I think that conversation was in late January, if I'm not incorrect. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, uh, do you have anywhere you think you think you were wrong, just like coming out of the gate? Um, first of all, uh, thank you all for inviting me back and giving me the floor again. Uh, and also would like to salute the entire in communities that have been involved in the war in Ukraine and continued effort. And yes, indeed, uh, I wanted to assume that I was wrong about uh, the Russian aggression in Ukraine. And I remember arguing for hours with Kai because I didn't think Russia would risk something so stupid. But guess what? They just did. So I guess we're here now. Yeah, so I think I think all of us at at that point sort of had assumed that any sort of involvement in Ukraine would be um, not a great idea, <laughs> and yeah. I I think I I think basically the different levels of calculus that we'd all put in was how willing Russia would have been to do something stupid, um, yeah. and yeah, I I think. I think John and I were a bit more on the Russia's going to do something stupid. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you were right, def definitely. And uh, maybe this is also a sort of influence in your country since uh, France was basically saying the same. And they were saying, even in the internal services, they were they were saying like uh, nothing will happen in, in Ukraine. And, there will be there will be no invasion, and finally it, it just happened. So I guess this is also kind of um, influence you can you can have on yourself when you're a, a resident in a country, and you 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 tend to all, all always follow what's what's people saying in your country. So indeed, I was wrong, and uh, it was uh, kind of surprising, um, especially uh, one uh, the the week uh, before the invasion. Uh, because I was looking around in the Russian news, I was watching all this stuff in Russia to see just how people behaviors and how they are considering the invasion. Um, indeed, one week before they started the invasion, I I felt like, I, I mean, in my head I was it was like okay they they are going to 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 do it because they really changed their their behaviors, and um, yeah, sometimes uh, you you're you're not correct on your um 
assessment and uh, this is what happened in France and we've seen uh, the, uh, the leader of uh, military intelligence getting fired from um, his, uh, I mean, his job um, because of that. So yeah, I guess, I think this is a intel fa failure from France and um, maybe maybe we should more consider, um, I mean, working with uh, different countries and taking in consideration different opinions. But uh, the thing is, uh, in last year, it was kind of the same uh, situation with Russia pulling all the all their army uh, in the frontier uh, with uh, in the border with uh, Ukraine, and uh, yeah, this is why maybe I was like, okay, they they have done they have done it last year, they won't do it again. They won't invade because they're just you know putting pressure on on Ukraine. Um, yeah, it was a complete miss in the in the end. I, I think yeah, and I know. Oh, go ahead, John. I, I think, in all fairness to you, Cassus, um, I don't think even we really fully understood the extent to which Russia was going to go, mm. frankly. Um, I think it's fair to say we, we Technical and I both strongly uh, suggested that Russia's plans were going ahead, that there was going to be an invasion, but I don't think we quite expected things to turn out anywhere near the way they have done. Um, I think we've kind of discussed it before as well. We we kind of yeah. expected Russia to sort of roll on through and 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 make light work of Ukraine, if we're being honest. And obviously that yeah ended up happening. And so t to an extent, we 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 both missed the mark, really. Um, what ended up yeah, I think probably a, a a middle ground somewhere between no invasion and a successful invasion. Yeah, I, I think there was a lot that we had had focused on over the last year um, based on the different Russian buildups. And we were definitely right in some places and wrong in other places, like at least in southern Ukraine. I think a lot of us were thinking that, you know, the Russians were just going to, you know, invade Kyrgyzstan Oblast, you know, take that territory, you know, and going any further wouldn't be a great idea because they'd be overextended. Well, <laughs> they took Kyrgyzstan Oblast, went, you know, started trying to take more territory, got overextended, and are now getting pushed back. Um, yeah. I think a lot of what we didn't expect was the invasion toward Kiev. Um, and, you know, that fighting in northern Ukraine, which just turned into a slog for the Russians. Um, so I, 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 they, I, I think they didn't, I mean, the Russian didn't even expect it so, um, I mean, such resistance. I mean, mm. they tried to invade from the north and finally just give it the north, to give up the north and uh, just try to focus on the east in the Donbass. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you can have always uh, your own assessment. You can have always your own intelligence on your own plans and expect things to go how you'd like there go. But finally, when you start something, it always go in another way. And uh, Russia failed to, to I mean, uh, go to Kiev, and uh, now they're only focusing on the eastern Ukraine. And this is, I think, I think everyone was surprised by how Ukrainians um, uh, kept uh, their their line and kept fighting uh, against Russians. 
No, I think I think what I was trying to jump into and and sort of ask Cassius before you spoke was um whether or not this has sort of resulted in any sort of long-standing, you know, cultural ramifications. I know the, yeah. you know, French intelligence chief was, you know, sacked. Um, yeah. but there there were even controversies around that about what what he was presenting um and whether or not it was accurate information or or what he was being asked to present. Um so I I think are there any larger sort of changes that have happened on on, on sort of a, you know that military culture side of things oh uh, yeah i think i think the uh, this war trans changed a lot of things in in all european countries and especially in france because i think they i mean intel services and all this uh government services they had to change change their um way, uh, way of work i mean they had to to learn more about um, all this situation in in Ukraine, and uh, I think they just um, thought again about how they are supposed to do their uh, intel work, in, uh, especially in Ukraine, because I I, I don't think uh, Ukraine was uh, the main um, area monitored by by France. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. I think uh, they were more focused in uh, African countries and mm -hmm. such, and such stuff. But um, yeah, I think now there's a an, a lot of um, how to say uh, learning on the, all this war teach uh, uh, us a lot of things on uh, even I mean drone dro drone war uh, the use of drones civilian drones uh, military drones and um, how you can keep fighting against a, a far largest uh, army uh, with uh, some equipments and uh, some organization on the ground. And uh, yeah, this is a very, um, I'd say, a very good lesson, but uh, it's a tragic war, in fact. So uh, yeah, it changed a lot of things in France, I think. Mm. Yeah, no, I that that definitely that definitely tracks with what I've seen happening in other European countries, especially well, Germany to a point, but um, but yeah. but definitely um in Eastern Europe at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially in uh, Germany, I think, which now started to buy uh, American jets and uh, started to build again uh, an army, uh, which is very uh surprising. Uh, because it didn't happen for decades and yeah all the European countries uh, have changed their mind and changed how they're supposed to um, be part of uh, NATO and all their organization all the interconnection between uh, Intel services and also uh, one thing I, I think it's very important to talk about but the place of uh, OSINT in uh, all this uh, war because I think a lot of people um, are working now on Ukraine daily um, and I think it, it provides a lot of information very uh, important uh, for uh, all the the guys on the ground and it's uh, I think all the medias all the journalists journalists um, everyone just realized how important Ozin can be in a ongoing war and uh yeah i think it's also taken in account in um different countries in uh, in france for example and uh different european countries 
So it's uh, I'd say it's a good thing for defense, uh, all the defense community. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we'll continue to see sort of an evolution on that, especially as Europe recognizes that Russia may not exactly be the most logical actor or, yeah. or, or, or an actor that subscribes to, you know, the, the same reality that we do. Um, I, I think we fairly clearly saw that with their invasion planning as well. Um, I just, yeah, I, 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 I mean, at the end of the day, um, everyone kind of... Uh, or in Europe is starting to accept that, you know, a, a, a national defense stance um, is needed, at least until sort of wider issues are dealt with, um, at which, you know, at, at which that point, maybe, you know, the 1990s attitude of, of, of restructuring um, uh, can, you know, be taken. But but until then, I, I, I think that'll continue to be the ongoing sort of understanding in uh, in Europe. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see all these changes in uh, the defense community, in, uh, in defense in, in general, and uh, all the reorganization uh, around NATO, on all these countries like Finland uh, and Swe Sweden, uh, Swedish, I think. Uh, Sweden, sorry. Uh, we, we wanted to join now uh, NATO. Um, it changed, uh, I think this war changed a lot of things not only in europe but, but all are around the world uh even in i mean in food security uh and especially in africa which is a continent i monitor monitor a lot and uh, you can see all the um, impact of this war uh in uh, african countries in uh, central asia um so yeah it's a it's a very massive event and it will i think it will definitely change everything for the next decade yeah and i i know you started talking about africa there i i i know you wanted to uh sort of continue into that and i'll i'll, I'll let you do that uh yeah so um on africa what i can say uh there's a lot of things happening now uh let's start with uh the turkish drone <clears throat> which uh which is largely used in uh in ukraine now and i think it's uh, very useful for the troops um there's uh, multiple countries very interested in buying in buying buying it now uh recently we saw uh in burkina faso uh a bayraktar drone which is very i'd say unusual uh, something very interesting because it means all these countries in Africa are now trying to, you know, um, get systems that can be able to uh, chase against uh, terrorism in their countries and fight terrorism uh, for a low, um, I'd say, well, you don't have a lot of money. And um, yeah, uh, Burkina Faso is a one interesting country. You can see also uh, Djibouti and also Ethiopia recently. Uh, there is more and more country interested. Uh, I know Congo is kind of interested and they're talking about uh, getting equipped with these drones. And uh, yeah, this is uh, one of the main interesting thing happening now in, uh, in Africa. I, I think it's kind of related to the Ukrainian war because um, Ukraine uh, often posted their success with this drone, so it's of course a good, um, I mean, 
Good marketing. <laughs> yeah, good marketing, definitely. Uh, so you can see uh, multiple countries interested now. And uh, yeah, there's still uh, a lot of events uh, since, uh, unfortunately, uh, terrorism is still is still very important, uh, a very important issue um, in Africa, especially in Mozambique or Mali, or uh, let's say Somalia, or all these countries are still struggling with um, terrorism. And uh, at the same time, you can see a lot of uh, things related to uh, Russia happening because uh, I think every everyone now uh, knows the existence of uh, Wagner PMC and they are very present in, uh, in Mali. Uh, at the same time, France, France is trying to get out of this, of this country and uh, by August, I think it is they should uh, leave the country and leave uh, the last uh, military base in Gao, if I'm right. And... Uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of, of things happening, like uh, some um, war communication, I'd say, uh, with a mass grave in uh, Gossi. Uh, hopefully, uh, French army tried to debunk this uh, event before, uh, uh, I'd say, propagandist, local propagandist says it's France, uh, it's France, it's France work or something. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, a very, I'd say, important time now for Africa, especially Western Africa, because uh, there's a lot of re reorganization uh, in the region. Um, and yeah, this is a sort of, uh, even I'm monitoring those times. And, and who do you think is sort of going to emerge as, you know, a major power player in the region, you know, as France sort of... It not pulls out per se, but reduces their presence. Well, um, I think there's a lot of countries now interested by, uh, to, I'd say, uh, French-speaking African countries. Uh, you can see obviously Russia with their PMC uh, Wagner, and uh, but there's also uh, different countries like Turkey or uh, the Emirates, and. And more countries like China, for example, and uh, these countries now have the, I'd say they have the opportunity to talk with more countries because before that, um, I'd say they, they had, uh, France had um, a sort of uh, direct uh, link with Mali, for example, but now uh, after two coups, um they're trying to change their, their relations and uh it's a opportunity and at, at the same time it's a problem because you you know uh there's a lot of um how to say um russian wagner uh committing uh attacks on civilians and all this stuff and uh there i mean they are pmcs this is not like an army army have to um always uh report all what does what are they doing and uh pmc doesn't care they just they can especially recent pmc i'd say they just come and secure uh an area and uh they, i mean they can kill civilians on on things nobody cares nobody cares uh especially with all this corruption and another thing uh interesting i think uh is that they are trying to secure all the let's say gold mines on all raw uh, resources um which is very interesting because at the same time russia is uh under a, a lot of sanctions uh and i think they're trying to 
find an issue to that uh, by uh, collecting gold on uh, on more in Africa. Uh, so I think we will see what happened in the next months, but uh, it's definitely important. Yeah, so this this all comes down to the fact that sort of Russia is trying to avoid or not avoid sanctions, but but sort of find alternative methods, which I think we've seen actually when you look at the initial sort of propaganda around the start of the war, a lot of it was aimed at African nations. Um, yeah, that that pro-Russian material that and that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, definitely, and. Uh... Yeah, uh, a lot of uh, Amer uh, African uh, peoples just shared their videos in uh, Mali or Car, for example, and um, they were showing the total support to uh, to Russia. So there's a war in Ukraine, and at the same time, you can find another war in Africa, which is a influenced war, um, because Russia know they they don't have uh, the same background as France. I'd say France was a colonialist country. And Russia can play with this argument because they're coming and saying, look, France was colonizing you. Uh, they started an operation uh, for uh, almost a decade and uh, nothing changed. So we're here. We're Russian. Uh, we're not, I'd say, we're not racist. We're not coloni co colonialist, I'd say, for in, in terms of uh, African colonialists. And... Uh, Indeed, it's 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 easier for um, for Russia to go and dig in this in these countries, uh, and also at the same time you have all the population uh, in in certain countries in Africa, in, in village, in uh, cities, were tired uh, of France and French pre prisons. So um, indeed, Russia is playing with that, and uh, the thing is, Russia won't act the same way uh, as France does, because France really, I'd say, doesn't uh, have their own, um, what to say, uh, their own uh, way to work in Africa. They, they, do, they want, I'd say, m most, uh, most of the times they want to target civilians. They're, they're, they don't have their own state-backed disin yeah, disinfo exactly. sort of structure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is uh, what I wanted to say. And at the same time, Russia provides uh, a lot of military stuff for African countries like helicopters or weapons or ammunition. And uh, they're, they're just sending a lot, a lot, a lot of, of uh, all these equipments. And it's uh, also a great opportunity because when you're uh, in an African country, you don't have a lot of money. You need maybe to uh, fight uh, terrorism at the same time. And then Russia just come at you and say, hey, do you want uh, some helicopters? Do you want some training? And I give you everything for free because I don't want uh, money because of sanctions. But I want uh, your gold or your exploitation in uh, in, uh, in, in your country. And uh, yeah, this is a different way to act in this country. And uh, there's a big war, uh, in war influence, I'd say, in Africa. Yeah, absolutely. And, we'll, you know, we'll see that going into the future of, of, I guess, as countries sort of compete for that that resource base and that population base, um, especially as they continue to sort of develop as well. Yeah, exactly. And, um, for example, if you go to uh, Mozambique, you can see a lot of uh, terrorism, sadly. Uh, you can see a lot of things happening there. Uh, 
at the same time you can see there is a lot of influence uh, I know India is very involved in this country uh, Russia at the same time try to exchange because they were present back in uh, last year or two years ago uh, with Wagner PMC uh, but they just left the country because they couldn't handle uh, all the terrorists and um, what's interesting here is if you focus on a African country, you you, you may know uh, they are speaking uh, French, like in Mali or such countries, and you start seeing a lot of um, different countries acting there. You start seeing uh, Turkey selling some uh, uh, APC, APC. You start se uh, seeing a lot of uh, different countries coming, which is uh, very unusual because this is a an area where France played for decades and uh, yeah this is uh, definitely important to see and at the, at the same time the most big, biggest problem for African countries now is food security uh, because of course all this uh, war in Ukraine created a large uh, food insecurity uh, even for uh, Middle East for example or Asian countries but especially in Africa and um, this is a very difficult way uh, for these countries because at the, again Russia will provide try to provide at least uh, a solution and they will propose them to just exchange maybe let's say wheat for uh, gold or something like that because they want they Russia want to build its own uh, economic system with China and all these countries and at the same time African countries needs this food because uh, it will be a mess otherwise. So this is a very complex, situ complex situation. And um, yeah, this is uh, what I'm seeing almost every day. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think we'll see the situation continue to develop in, into, the, into the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which I, think, I think I always say. But um, back to, I, I think we should probably cycle back to Ukraine right now to uh, not finish up but uh, I, I just continue. But um, I mean, from what we've seen over the past week, um, and, and I've said this a few times, and I, I'll say my prediction in private was correct because I actually never bothered to say this publicly, but it, it does seem like the Ukrainians um, pulled back from uh, Lyschansk, um in order to avoid a larger encirclement, um, which I, I think today uh, has definitely... Uh, it gave the Russians not a strategic victory, but but definitely a messaging victory, um, as they were, you know, able to take pretty much the remainder of Luhansk Oblast and um, and sort of uh, uh, exert this control over over an area that they previously had had you know intended to exert control over. Um, so moving. Forward, the Ukrainians have obviously, you know, made it clear that they want to do defense in depth of 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 being able to sort of um, retreat without taking casualties, you know, give up land in exchange for time. Um, at, at, you know, at, does anyone here sort of have a thought about when or where that ends? Well, maybe John wanted to say something. I, I, I think... As you say, the, the, the Ukrainians are obviously having to deal with this very, very strategically. They are having to look at certain situations and retreat 
in order to avoid mass casualties. Obviously, that's not something they're going to be prepared to do at every situation. Um, you know, should Russia ever reach Kiev again, um, we will probably see them fight tooth and nail for every, you know, square inch of ground that they lose. Um, but I think what the Ukrainians are realizing at this point is that the Russians are really struggling. Um, the Russian advance, the, the the sort of movement of Russian kit. Um, has very much stalled I think it's fair to say um, and w we've obviously seen in the last few weeks um, the leadership of the Russian troops in Ukraine has been changed several times um, Vladimir Putin replaced um, two of his senior commanders in Ukraine last week after they basically failed to meet a June deadline that he'd given them um, for achieving certain aims, um, one of which I believe was to capture, uh, was it the Hanskor or one of the other large cities? Uh, Severodonetsk, I yeah, think. Severodonetsk. Yeah, yeah. Severodonetsk. Um, and obviously the, 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 the Russian senior leaders in, in Ukraine are, as I say, constantly changing. Um, that's obviously not having a, a a positive impact on the troops beneath because when your leader's changing every you know every few weeks um, you start getting different orders different plan um, we've obviously seen a lot of issues with particularly in sort of the early weeks and months of the war a lot of Russian troops deserting we're not hearing so much of that now um, whether that's because the Russians have now kind of got a lid on a lot of sort of social media activities of the troops or whether it's just genuinely not happening now and, and, and whatever's left of the Russian troops is a genuinely um, supportive or pro-Putin um, and pro-invasion group. Um, but yeah, I, I think Ukraine is, is going to have to make these calls every time they they are pushed back they're going to have to decide which cities they are prepared to fight for and which ones that it they need to sort of just let go and unfortunately you know un until such time as russia really sort of loses any signs of having an edge any signs of numerical superiority um ukraine is going to lose gradually lose territory um, and they have to very much hope that the Russians run out of kit and run out of people before Ukraine runs out of territory to sort of retreat through or, or, or to fight over. Yeah, uh, I think uh, even if uh, Ukraine lost some cities like Severodonetsk or Lysychansk on different small village, um, I think they were still able to, to inflict... Um, a lot of damage on Russian troops, even if in now I feel like Russian troops learned from their mistake in the beginning of the war, uh, because we we all remind uh, all the in the beginning, uh, all this uh, vehicles destroyed and all these losses in the Russian side, and uh, now I feel like they're just um, they they're not. Um, extending too much so they they they're they're afraid to lose a lot of uh, 
of troops against Ukrainians. And at the same time, um, Ukrainians, uh, with all this Western military equipments, uh, keep fighting back and uh, they're just making a very interesting use of uh, civilian drones, for example. Uh, I think we now have a lot of uh, pictures and uh, footage of uh, the small uh, DJI drones, yeah. uh, which which is very interesting because they were already used before the war, but it's it's a civilian drone made in China. It's a DJI is a Chinese company, uh, but you can buy this drone on uh, let's say Alibaba or anything, and uh, it's it's uh, used a lot on both sides. But I think um, Ukrainian forces uh, started to buy a lot of these civilian drones and it's very useful because it's cheap and it's easy to use and you can easily, um, you know, inflict damage on uh, armored vehicles and uh, even on some ground posi positions. And uh, yeah, this is... Uh, this is a very complex situation, and at the same time, uh, Ukraine can also inflict damage in uh, Black Sea because we all have seen uh, also um, this platform, you know, uh, in the Black Sea, uh, Russian platform destroyed, and it's it's still in, on fire for now, and uh, yeah, this is I think the small um, actions which can lead Ukraine to inflict the maximum damage on Russian progression. So I don't know if you if you can say it in in if you say it in in English, but uh, it's a victory, Pyrrhus victory. I don't know if it's correct. Oh, Pyrrhic victory. Yeah, yeah. yeah no yeah, one, yeah. no one wins. No one wins. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it will be something close to this situation, uh, and uh, at least Russia will have to suffer a lot of losses for any progression. But at the same time, I feel like they they learned a lot from the ground. Uh, because uh, I don't know, I I, I had uh, the feelings that they were some sometimes very missing on the ground, and um, yeah, I feel like the both sides learned a lot of on tactics and uh, operation on the ground, and uh, yeah, this is uh, very interesting. Also, for example, today we have seen all this uh, AMO, uh Russian AMO, uh, uh how to say. Ammunition dumps, going Ammunition boom. Dump, yeah, 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 going boom. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you you see uh, Ukraine keep fighting, and you see uh, a lot of Russian position uh, destroyed. While at the same time, Ukraine is fighting on a very large large uh, front. Uh, so I think with Western uh, equipments, it will go to Paris, uh, maybe Paris situation. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we will end up seeing that sort of back and forth fighting where the Ukrainians are willing to give up land um, in order to continue, you know, inflicting Russian casualties, especially in the east. Though at the same time, we will probably continue to see Ukrainian Ukrainian advances in the south. Um, recently, it was reported that the Russians were actually forced to move units from um, the uh, Zavrziza, um, uh sort of a frontal area. Um, in order to move them towards Kyrgyzstan uh, to replace losses um, in that area. The VDV units there have been especially savaged um, since the beginning of the war. They've, I mean, they've been fighting on the ground now for months. Um, 
And it's not like they got reinforcements because the other VDV units up by Kiev were just basically destroyed and then had to try to reconstitute with any, um, you know, backup or, or, or reserve assets still left in Russia. Um, so I, I think a lot of these guys are running on, um, on borrowed time, at least, at least in the South. Um, because again, as I said earlier, they overextended themselves and now they're, they're stuck into a situation where yeah. the Ukrainians are, are, are trying to push back. Yeah, exactly. I, and I wonder if this war will, will last for uh, years because, of course, it's a very big problem for, uh, uh, I'd say, Euro European economies, uh, especially in uh, Germany and, uh, I mean, France uh, and I guess even the UK. Um, with all these prices going up, uh, skyrocketing, and uh, yeah, I wonder if it will last for years, which is which will be, I think, a problem for everyone. I mean, including Russia, or uh, if it will be like it will f froze at some point, and it will end maybe like Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> uh so yeah I, I wonder how it will go honestly but what i see and what i understand is um russia is making small advances and lose a lot of things to gain small parts of territories uh well at the same time uh western countries keep sending a lot of weapons uh i think they they started to use uh imars uh yesterday i'm not sure uh, there were indications that they had been using it about a week ago. Um, there were some strikes that fit very closely into the profile uh, of what would be expected to be a HIMARS strike. Um, though, it, it, they, they definitely have been using them. Mm, okay. So, this is very interesting. Also, there's, uh, I'd say, let's make my own marketing for my country, but uh, this uh, Caesar Archidonier. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's a very useful system for Ukrainian army. So far, I understood they really like it. They really like uh, the this uh, Caesar system. And uh, yeah, I think Western countries, especially the US, will keep sending a lot of weapons and uh, inflicting a lot of uh, damage on Russian progression. And uh, yeah, another side of this war is, of course, uh, using. Um, I think all this information we're sharing uh, every day is very helpful for the guys on the ground and uh, very helpful for the Intel community in general. I, I might be wrong, but uh, I really think it's useful and used by a lot of uh, maybe services or at least they keep an eye on it and uh i think this is maybe a game changer because the, we we've seen so so many things with all this using we we've been watching all these cameras in uh in ukraine and watching all the progression and all these people making uh, maps and following tracking all the positions uh i think this is a very interesting uh new let's say new side of the war uh, because I went back in uh, in the war in uh, Chechnya or something, there were no no using using on Twitter or something. So uh, I think this is a very important um, part of, of the war, and uh, uh, 
yeah, I don't know what do you think, guys. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we've in, in the last sort of twenty-four months, we've kind of covered a, a number of different conflicts, and I think it's fair to say that the OSINT community has sort of been able to go into a great deal more detail with the the situation in Ukraine than, say, for example, the uh, Azerbaijan-Armenia conflict we had not that long yeah. ago. Um, I think we were, we were fairly limited even with uh, the Afghan withdrawal in terms of what information we could really mm. glean um, and sort of provide to, you know, media sources and, and to the wider world. Um, and I think, yeah, as you quite rightly say, we yeah. were seeing with Ukraine, because there is so much more, you know, civilian tech, because it is very much more a mm. war that is, you know, affecting somewhere a lot closer to home for, you know, a lot of us in in the community, we are yeah. far better able to sort of find sources for these information, get these videos, get these photos and so on, um, and get that kind of real-time information. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a very first big experience for uh, Ozim community uh, because it's, uh, like you said, it's a European country uh, with a lot of civilian technologies, so you can easily access to them. I mean, like, for example, cameras and stuff. Uh, it's not the same issue when you're going to Afghanistan or, or any African country because you don't have a lot of internet or civilian technologies. So, yeah, this is very, this is a very weird war in, in some way uh, because you can, I mean, I remember... Uh, Hearing uh, with the radio, uh, a lot of uh, Russian troops using their radio and stuff. And this is very the first, I'd say, at least for my on my side, it's uh, the very first experience uh, in a war between two countries uh, with all this information easily uh, available on internet. And uh, this is a very, I think. Ozin played a very important uh, game in this war, and uh, maybe what what I what I've seen, which is interesting, is uh, even the Russian star to make their own audience in sort in some way. I mean, uh, maybe you guys know uh, Rebar, or I don't know how to to call them, but um, they they're trying to do their own audience, and it's interesting because it means now. All these countries involved in this war uh, understood the importance, I'd say, of OSINT and trying to uh, implement implement it in their own uh, analysis. And uh, this is a very good thing. But uh, I don't know what what do you guys think about it? I mean, I think the OSINT community in general have increased their skills um over the past three years at least you know from when our i started which was you know probably like i don't know 2014 um there was uh, it, during the initial conflict in iraq there was far less um or far less mature capabilities um yeah. the the genesis of it was there you know tracking videos to establish you know presence and uh uh, uh, uh different movements um in different areas, you know, just trying to sort of get an, an established view of what was happening. Um, I think at the 
end of the day, a lot of the research that's been done and a lot of the, you know, the the development that's been done for the community's capabilities, um, you know, between the various large organizations that do open source intelligence and some of the smaller creators that have, you know, combined sort of that news aggregation element with the verification and sort of open source uh, uh, analysis of a situation um, that that definitely has matured. Um, and Ukraine has been the first really big test since open source intelligence got not popular per se, but but more uh, more developed. Um, and, you know, we've seen it work. We've seen it work very well. Um, you know, it, it's been able to cut through a lot of issues. It's been able to give people a far clearer view of what's happening. Um especially when you look at some of the stuff like, you know, the Buka and Urban massacres, um yeah. uh various Russian war crimes. Open source intelligence was able to to verify that. Um was was able to verify the presence of graves, was able to, you know, uh, uh, shed light on those war crimes. Um that I think um other more traditional news reporting methods wouldn't have been able to do as effectively. And, you know, we've seen traditional news outlets, you know, switch and also offer those open source products um, where they're analyzing, you know, uh, reported videos to verify them in a different way. Um, and we'll continue to see that moving into the future as a, a popular option um, for more yeah. traditional media, especially as they report from a chaotic war zone. Exactly. And uh, yeah, go on. I think what you mentioned just there about the war crimes side of things is particularly important because obviously, as with any conflict, a war crimes commission is set up by the international community. Um, there are various agencies um, around the world who get involved in investigating allegations of war crimes and so on. And I think the the, the OSINT has as you say it's expanded and it's grown it's become more prevalent and it's going to be particularly helpful with these investigations of war crimes for this particular conflict and and other conflicts moving forward because the sheer amount of video footage and photographs and so on that is sort of being spread by the OSINT community that otherwise might never have seen the light of day and, and a lot yeah. of information I know is being picked up by these war crime commission investigators and they are looking through these videos and these photos and they are, you know, using that information to build their cases. Yeah, and uh, for example, in France, uh, I'd say wasn't wasn't a really well known uh, practice, I'd say. And uh, with this war in Ukraine, it just put the light on this activity which is uh, very interesting because now we have a, far more people able to uh, dig on these uh, subjects and keep following what's going on in Ukraine, mm. following uh, all these mass graves, uh, following even um, uh, the, 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 the wheat uh, stolen by Russians uh, in uh, my, my Russian, um, Ukrainian controlled areas. Um, where they, they just stole all the the, the grain, uh, the Ukrainian grain, and you can track that with satellite satellite imagery, uh, and it's very uh, a very interesting 
think that it's now more, I'd say, popular um, because now a lot of people can be involved in all this stuff and keep investigating on what's going on and exposing all these uh, events uh, on the ground. Um, this is a very interesting situation for the next uh, decades because, of course, we have uh, the war in Ukraine right now, but I think the second, second area we will be following uh, maybe in the next decades will be uh, Taiwan uh, because it's very sensitive, uh, a very sensitive area. And uh, in fact, I think all even China is currently watching what's going on in Ukraine and uh, try to evaluate, evaluate um, how it will go if they do the same with Taiwan. So I, I think uh, OSINT will be very useful if anything happens there. Uh, and I think it's uh, very important to take it, take it in account now, uh, especially for uh, journalism, but also for all the private uh, investigation or or uh, even, uh, I'd say, intelligence services. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I again, we'll continue to see things mature, um, yeah. and and it really depends on on how effective um, it is at the end of the day. Like that's that's a, it's a huge huge question about um, how our skills or the community skills in general um, will continue to mature. We've seen, you know, great steps being taken, but there's still obviously more that, you know, can be done. Um, a lot of, and and not to get into recent drama, of course, that the community has had, but um, self-policing self um, is, I think, an important thing to you know keep in mind that that that's going to be something that the community is going to have to do um in order to maintain you know some credibility um that we there have been bad actors there, there absolutely have um and it, it seems like a large number of the a large portion of the viewing public um is willing to um believe them or 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 give them credence because they want to believe them not because they have any evidence or any um uh, any sort of backing or any sort of um uh, of credibility they they believe them because they're saying what they want you know to believe um be because they're putting forward a good story and i i think that's something that the community will have to reckon with. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I think uh, it's uh, it will be also interesting to have more and more people uh, making OSIN because, of course, you will have more uh, areas uh, monitored. Uh, for example, I know Africa isn't a very popular area. <laughs> And uh, also uh, Southern uh, America. Uh, I don't know a lot of people monitoring this area. So yeah, I, I, at least I'd say the good point is we will have more and more uh, people making OSINT and uh, maybe keeping an eye on different areas uh, around the world, which is a which is a big benefits for the using community. And at the same time, we will have 
indeed more and more uh, people um, with, uh, you know, stating some information which is not always verified. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, we will see how it how it goes in the next uh, years. But uh, I think it's a great success in some points because we we've, we've been able to follow all the ev events uh, in Ukraine. And I think it it was very helpful for people on the ground, uh, even civilians. And uh, yeah, I hope it will keep uh, expanding this way, and uh, we will have uh, hopefully more people uh, monitoring. Uh, I don't know uh, Afghanistan or Ukraine or Taiwan or all these countries. And uh, yeah, it's it's a fair point you make, Cassus. Um, I mean, we've we've got sort of. The, the core group, I suppose, of the OSINT community, as we would regard them, um, is, what, around 50, 55 members at the minute. Um, we, we, we sort of have a little group of people, m many of whom have been guests on, on the podcast over the last um, 12 months. Um, and it's fair to say, as you quite rightly pointed out, um, a lot of them have overlapping uh, areas of expertise, um, we do have quite a few people focused on sort of Middle East events. Um, we've got a lot who are very good with sort of flight tracking and sort of satellite imagery analysis and stuff like that. Um, as you say, you, you're, you're probably one of a very, very small number who sort of look at the African continent. I know we've got um, one or two accounts who sort of very closely mm. follow aspects of South America. Um, so particularly back when Venezuela was was very strongly in the news, um, they were kind of the go-to um, sort of accounts for news from that part of the world. Um, but as you say, you know, ultimately we we do kind of hope that there are going to be more people who sort of step up and and, and do OSINT um, and hopefully fill some of the gaps that do exist so that we are able to present a you know a bigger picture a, a more detailed picture um, and one that is sort of universal rather than just as you say focused on certain areas of the world yeah absolutely and and that diversification is what makes OSINT powerful um, is that you know anyone with a bit of effort can do it um, and and anyone, it doesn't really matter that person's background as long as they can provide, you know, verification and proof of what they've done, um, which, um, you know, it, it is important, but it, it, it is something that, 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 you know, people can do. That's that's the open aspect of it. Yeah, and I, I think it's also important to sometimes stay humble and just say, if you don't know, you don't know, and... Uh... Just ask for for help because uh, of course you can't know everything on OSINT or you can't know everything on a particular uh, area you're monitoring, and uh, you 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 may find some specialists uh, on Twitter or or people who are studying these areas, and uh, it's I think it's important to keep exchanging between OSINT accounts, uh, so it's it's getting always uh, more powerful. Uh, when you're making, uh, I mean, you, you, there's an exchange between the, all these OSINT uh, countries, so, yeah. uh, OSINT accounts, sorry. So, um, yeah, yeah I, that... I think uh, 
Yeah. That 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 is the beauty of of this sort of little community of, of fifty or so accounts that we have, that we do regularly communicate between ourselves, and we we do have an ongoing discussion, which, I mean, I, I regularly come home from a shift at work and find you know in excess of three hundred messages, um, just in in that one little sort of group chat that we have, um, where it it will be all sorts of things that have been going on throughout the day that I, I've sort of missed and I, I, I it does really help to have all those people you know different time zones different areas of expertise as we say um, who are constantly around the clock monitoring what's going on analyzing stuff as, as it comes in um, and yeah there is there is a, a real beauty to it um, particularly because you know I think it's fair to say 95% of us don't actually know each other you know from anyone else you know it, it's we, we do what we do we have a passion for it and we work really really well together as a group absolutely yeah and and the cooperation is a, a huge element of this is you know everyone works together um and, and you know we'll correct each other or we'll you know, help each other on geolocation or, you know, we'll, we'll serve as some weird form of red team analysis on each other's work. But, you know, it, it is really important, the cooperation that we do. I totally agree. And uh, like John said, it's very interesting to have different people living all, all around the world. We have uh, people in uh, America and uh, Europe. And it's very interesting because you have always someone uh, awake and uh, keeping an eye on an interesting area. And uh, for example, I have always a uh, Gurdjian working with me for Africa. And mm. we're exchanging a lot uh, since he's very good at track, uh, tracking aircraft. Uh, and I have a lot of information on the ground. I have uh, imagery and we exchange a lot. And this is what make finally uh, using so powerful and I think it's very uh, important to keep this cooperation and uh, yeah keep learning keep improving and trying to do our best all right so I think after that massive self-pleasuring there for you know a, a solid 20 minutes <laughs> um, uh, is there anything else anyone wants to talk about sort of uh, before we end this episode uh yeah maybe i just want to say that uh <laughs> my main account was uh, suspended and uh just uh for now i'm i'm trying to find a way to resolve this issue uh but i think it will be back soon and, you're not uh, the only way. one hey 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 if anyone from twitter is listening you guys uh, gotta yeah. unscrew up this <laughs> like seriously you would not do this to news accounts or anyone verified, and it's yeah, stupid. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's not the first time we've seen Twitter doing this. Um, I think rather famously for for this podcast, not all that long ago, um, one of our very own co-hosts, Kyle, um, one of the accounts that he runs, um, was mm. suddenly uh, taken down by Twitter with no explanation less than 24 hours before the invasion started yeah and uh, you know I, I i i'm hoping that in that particular instance twitter was just making a mistake and that there was no sort of 
malicious targeting of said account, um, particularly with the way that things worked out and the timing of everything that happened. Um, that said, it, it is something that unfortunately we do see as a community um, far more often than you know we, we would ever hope to see. Um, as, as Technical alluded to earlier, we, we've obviously seen a number of accounts recently that um, are sort of purporting to be part of the OSINT community, um, albeit the sort of more extended reaches of the OSINT community. And unfortunately, some of those accounts have not necessarily been as accurate and as faithful with uh, the information that they provide. And unfortunately, we, we sit and watch as Twitter does nothing with those. And then, you know, uh, as, as in Cassis's case, as with Kyle's case with, with the conflicts account, we suddenly see very reputable and, and oftentimes very, very uh, well-known accounts. Um, I believe the conflicts account had what was it, 300,000 followers at the time when it was taken down by Twitter at the start of this conflict. Um, that's obviously, you know, not helpful in, in the grand scheme of things, not not just for the, the OSINT community in, in, in sort of making the world aware of what's going on, but also for, for the people who actually benefit from the information that we share. Um, and, you know, I appreciate that there is a lot going on with Twitter at the minute, particularly with you know all sorts of attempted buys and, and so on recently um, but it is something that hopefully you know we are going to see less of and hopefully accounts like Cassus are, are not going to find themselves suddenly banned or, or taken down um, in you know quite the same way or at the very least not nearly as frequently as we have been seeing it in the last sort of 12 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something I'll always advocate for. Um period end of story. <laughs> I, I I legitimately don't think there's much I can add to that that I haven't already said. Yeah, I think I'm I'm good. Uh thank you for inviting me. And uh I hope I will be back again so we can uh keep talking uh on different topics on Africa since we don't have a lot of people doing it. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you, uh, thank you all. And I want to, to uh, greet everyone working in Ozint and uh, keep doing what you're doing, guys. It's you you are you are our crutch for African issues that that we are terrible at covering. Yeah. Um, and and well, you know we we hope to keep having you on to to cover them. Yeah, sure, it will be a, a pleasure. And all right, and on that note, I oh. Go ahead, John. Sorry. And on the topic of the OSINT community, um, what what we'll do is uh, with this episode, we will put a link um, to an article from the UK Defence Journal, um, which, weirdly enough, I I had actually forgotten I wrote. Um, it has been, well, I, I think I wrote it literally days before the outbreak of the uh, the conflict in Ukraine, um, and at the bottom of the article is is just a list of some of those members of 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 that sort of core. OSINT group. Um, so we'll, we'll put the link to that article in, in the description of this episode so that you guys can uh, go on, find those accounts and get following if you're, if you're not already following them. Um, we've got the likes of Cassus, um, myself, Technical, uh, various other guests that we've had on the podcast over the last 12 months, as I said, um, the likes of uh, Aleph, uh, Intel Air and C, um, Intel Doge, 
the Aurora Intel, um, I was going to say triplets, but they're not triplets, there's just three of them, um, and, uh, and various other accounts as well, who are definitely worth a follow. Um, and with that, I believe we are going to wrap it up, so uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been Season 4, Episode 2 of the OSINT Bunker Podcast, and we will be back, hopefully, in about a fortnight's time with another episode.